1: So, to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15
0: a month. Give it a try at slash switch.
1: $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com.
0: Welcome to the latest in an occasional series of readings, brought to you by the Times Literary Supplement. I'm Alan Jenkins. One hundred years ago this week, a train stopped at a small country halt in Gloucestershire. One of its passengers was Edward Thomas, who recorded the details of the non-event in his notebook, and later composed Adelstrop, one of the best-known and loved of all English poems. Born and schooled in London, but from his youth, a lover of the southern English countryside, Thomas spent his twenties and early thirties doing literary journey work – book reviews, biographical and topographical potboilers, anthologies, by which he supported a growing family while also suffering prolonged depressions. Although friends such as W. H. Davies and Walter de la Mer suggested he might attempt writing poems, it took the declaration of war and the encouragement and example of Robert Frost, another friend, to release the poetry in him. When it came, it came copiously, and in an idiom unlike that of the Georgian poets, whom Thomas sometimes resembles in his countrified concerns. The tentative speech rhythms and self-accusing melancholy of his most powerful poems announce a strikingly modern sensibility behind the pastoral lyricism that has ensured his enduring popular appeal. Walter de la Mer wrote, England's roads and heaths and woods, its secret haunts and solitudes, its houses, its people, its very flints and dust, were his freedom and his peace. His poems reveal that he was doubly homesick for this and another world. Above all, they reveal what a friend this man was to the friendless and to them of small report, although not always his own serenest friend. Adelstrop. Yes, I remember Adelstrop. The name, because one afternoon of heat the express train drew up there unwantedly. It was late June. The steam hissed. Someone cleared his throat. No one left and no one came on the bare platform. What I saw was Adelstrop. Only the name, and willows, willow herb, and grass, and meadowsweet and haycocks dry. No whit less still and lonely, fair than the high cloudlets in the sky. And for that minute, a blackbird sang close by, and round him, mistier, farther and farther, all the birds of Oxfordshire and Gloucestershire. The long, small room. The long, small room that showed willows in the west narrowed up to the end of the fireplace filled, although not wide. I liked it. No one guessed what need or accident made them so build. Only the moon, the mouse, and the sparrow peeped in from the ivy round the casement thick. Of all they saw and heard there, they shall keep the tale for the old ivy and older brick. When I look back, I am like moon, sparrow, and mouse that witnessed what they could never understand or alter or prevent in the dark house. One thing remains the same, this my right hand, crawling crab-like over the clean white page, resting a while each morning on the pillow, then once more starting to crawl on towards age. The hundred last leaves stream upon the willow. Two Houses Between a sunny bank and the sun, the farmhouse smiles on the riverside plat. No other one so pleasant to look at and remember for many miles, so velvet hushed and cool under the warm tiles. Not far from the road it lies, yet caught far out of reach of the road's dust and the dusty thought of passers-by, though each stops and turns and must look down at it like a wasp at the muslin peach. But another house stood there long before, and as if above graves still the turf heaves above its stones, dark hangs the sycamore, shadowing kennel and bones and the black dog that shakes his chain and moans. And when he barks, over the river, flashing fast, dark echoes reply, and the hollow past half yields the dead that never more than half-hidden lie, and out they creep and back again for ever. Out in the dark. Out in the dark, over the snow, the fallow fawn's invisible go, With the fallow doe, and the winds blow Fast as the stars are slow. Stealthily the dark haunts round, And, when the lamp goes without sound, At a swifter bound than the swiftest hound, Arrives and all else is drowned. And star and I and wind and deer Are in the dark together, near yet far, And fear drums on my ear in that sage company drear. How weak and little is the light, all the universe of sight, love and delight, before the might, if you love it not, of night. Beauty, what does it mean? Tired, angry and ill at ease, no man, woman or child alive could please me now. And yet I almost dare to laugh because I sit and frame an epitaph. Here lies all that no one loved of him and that loved no one then in a trice that whim has wearied. But, though I am like a river at fall of evening, while it seems that never has the sun lighted it or warmed it, while cross breezes cut the surface to a file, this heart, some fraction of me, happily floats through the window even now to a tree down in the misting, dim-lit, quiet vale, not like a puet that returns to wail for something it has lost, but like a dove that slants unswerving to its home and love. There I find my rest, and through the dusk air flies what yet lives in me. Beauty is there. Aspens. All day and night, save winter, every weather, above the inn, the smithy, and the shop, the aspens at the crossroads talk together of rain until their last leaves fall from the top. Out of the blacksmith's cavern comes the ringing of hammer, shoe, and anvil. Out of the inn, the clink, the hum, the roar, the random singing, the sounds that for these fifty years have been. The whisper of the aspens is not drowned, and over lightless pane and footless road, empty as sky, with every other sound not ceasing, calls their ghosts from their abode, a silent smithy, a silent inn nor fails in the bare moonlight or the thick-furred gloom, in tempest or the night of nightingales, to turn the crossroads to a ghostly room. And it would be the same were no house near. Over all sorts of weather, men, and times, aspens must shake their leaves, and men may hear, but need not listen more than to my rhymes. Whatever wind blows, while they and I have leaves, We cannot other than an aspen bee that ceaselessly, unreasonably grieves. Or so men think who like a different tree. As the team's head brass. As the team's head brass flashed out on the turn, the lovers disappeared into the wood. I sat among the boughs of the fallen elm that strewed the angle of the fallow and watched the plough narrowing a yellow square of charlock. Every time the horses turned instead of treading me down, the ploughman leaned upon the handles to say or ask a word about the weather, next about the war. Scraping the share, he faced towards the wood and screwed along the furrow till the brass flashed once more. The blizzard felled the elm whose crest I sat in by a woodpecker's round hole, the ploughman said. When will they take it away? When the war's over. So the talk began, one minute and an interval of ten, a minute more and the same interval. Have you been out? No. And don't want to, perhaps? If I could only come back again, I should. I could spare an arm. I shouldn't want to lose a leg. If I should lose my head, why so? I should want nothing more. Have many gone from here? Yes. Many lost? Yes, a good few. Only two teams work on the farm this year. "'One of my mates is dead. "'The second day in France they killed him. "'It was back in March, the very night of the blizzard, too. "'Now if he had stayed here, we should have moved the tree. "'And I should not have sat here. "'Everything would have been different, "'for it would have been another world. I and a better, though if we could see all, "'all might seem good.' "'Then the lovers came out of the wood again. "'The horses started.' and for the last time I watched the clods crumble and topple over after the ploughshare and the stumbling team. In Memoriam, Easter, 1915. The flowers left thick at nightfall in the wood this Easter tide, call into mind the men now far from home who, with their sweethearts, should have gathered them and will do never again. Thomas enlisted in 1915 and was killed two years later at Arras. The following passage from "World Without End," a memoir by his widow Helen, is read by Ros Denine.
1: So we lay all night sometimes talking of our love and all that had been, and of the children and what had been amiss and what right. We knew the best was that there had never been untruth between us. We knew all of each other and it was right. So talking and crying and loving in each other's arms, we fell asleep. Edward got up and made the fire and brought me some tea and then got back into bed and the children clambered in too and sat in a row sipping our tea. I was not afraid of crying anymore. My tears had been shed. My heart was empty, stricken with something that tears would not express or comfort. The gulf had been bridged. Each bore the other's suffering. We concealed nothing, for all was known between us. After breakfast, while he showed me where his account books were and what each was for, I listened calmly, and unbelievingly he kissed me when I said I, too, would keep accounts. And here are my poems. I have copied them all out in this book for you, and the last of all is for you. I wrote it last night, but don't read it now. The children will come to the station with me, and now I must be off. A thick mist hung everywhere and there was no sound except far away in the valley a train shunting. I stood at the gate watching him go. He turned back to wave until the mist and the hill hid him. I heard his old call coming up to me. Cooey, he called. Cooey, I answered, keeping my voice strong to call again. Again through the muffled air came his cooey and again went my answer like an echo. Cooey came fainter next time with a hill between us. But my cooey went out of my lungs, strong to pierce to him as he strode away from me. Cooey, so faint now, it might only be my own call flung back from the thick air and muffling snow. I put my hands up to my mouth to make a trumpet, but no sound came. Panic seized me, and I ran through the mist and the snow to the top of the hill and stood there a moment dumbly, with straining eyes and ears. There was nothing but the mist and the snow and the silence of death. Then with leaden feet which stumbled in the sudden darkness that overwhelmed me, I groped my way back to the empty house. Buddhstrop is rich in literary connections beside Edward Thomas's poem, and in this week's TLS, Claire Harmon discusses Jane Austen's other family who lived there. Zinovi Zinnick looks to the Lawn Road Flats, home of spies and artists. We run an exclusive extract from Michael Holroyd's novella A Dog's Life, as well as reviews of Nicola Barker, Mark Commode, Frederick Jameson, Thomas Piketty and much more. To find out more about the TLS and to read a free selection of pieces from this week's issue, go to our website, the-tls.co.uk. You can read the TLS in full every week in print or via our app, which is available on iTunes and in the Amazon App Store. The TLS, life in every word. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter.